Welcome to Girls on Film and a very special episode celebrating Sundance London Film Festival 2021. Director Phila Lloyd joins me to talk about her masterclass and she remembers one of her big feminist hits. When we realised the response of the audience seeing themselves on stage was so intense, especially from women, we realised people were, were craving it. And of course that was, you know, we wanted to keep that vibe, I guess, when we made the movie. And Meryl, Julie Walters and Christine Baranski all felt the same. I also chat to director Rintu Thomas about writing with fire and to Mia Bays and B Manzini about Sundance Film Festival, London. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, I'm your host, Anna Smith. Sundance Film Festival London is happening in person now and it runs till the 1st of August 2021 at Picture House Central. The festival presents 15 feature films from the Sundance Film Festival in Utah. Happily, plenty of those films are by women. To find out more, I caught up with Sundance London producer Mia Bays and poet B Manzini. Well, Mia, you've just come from a women's breakfast for Sundance London. Is there a lot of excitement in the air for this year's festival? Yeah, it was just so lovely to do an actual real in-person, like not virtual, actually looking at people who are not holograms. Um, It was just so lovely. And it's just, you know, it's hard. I think it's really hard organising an in-person festival right now because everything's so unpredictable. It's really, you know, every day you have to take as it comes, really. But it's just so lovely to sort of be back together and you know that's kind of our our connective theme this year back together again and acknowledging that you need to make sure people feel comfortable so things like distancing in the cinema are you know kind of important factors right now to make sure people feel comfortable but equally the energy of kind of collective you know viewing and discussion and having the people in the building who made the films just kind of the energy of having people together over four days in the same place. It's just great. It's really, it just feels like a relief, I must say. I feel relieved. Well, congrats. It's kind of like coming home in a way, isn't it? Um, now, we're going to be talking to Rintu Thomas for Writing with Fire, which is a film that I loved. I also really enjoyed um, Zola and Coda and Censor. There's some fantastic films from women this year. Um, Any others that you'd like to highlight? Uh, Yes, The Most Beautiful Boy in the World by Christina Lindstrom and uh, a male partner whose name I didn't write down. Apologies. Have you got it? Christian Petri, yeah. Okay. Uh, And that's the film about the star of the... I mean, that's a kind of quote from Visconti. He called that boy who he sought uh, across Europe for to star in that film in the late 70s. And yes, Death in Venice. Yeah, and it's about the ethics of filmmaking, really, and about child stardom. That was the peak of your popularity. And I wanted to be somewhere else and be somebody else. Like you know, to put put the eyes on the beauty is to put the eyes on the death. 
I found that really, really affecting and really morally complex and psychologically gripping. So I'd really like to lift that one up. And I'm really excited about, yeah, Coda, I think Sean Hedda, that work, you know, a film that's almost entirely in uh, sign language just feels like, and it's also the one that got the biggest deal at Sundance in Utah in January. I think it was 17 million that Apple paid for that amazing you know it's a sort of sign of things changing you know in the past so many films would have been seen as kind of niche work and now they're not and that's really important and Sundance is such a kind of hotbed for that sometimes I get a good feeling yeah yeah I get a feeling that I never 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 had before you're the girl with the deaf family yeah yeah And you sing. Interesting. I want to do this. There are plenty of pretty voices with nothing to say. Do you have something to say? It's a total crowd pleaser, isn't it, Coda? Um, but yeah, it's very important in terms of representation. So it just shows, as you say, that those films can be mainstream and should be mainstream. Yeah, and Pleasure is another one. Uh, Nina Thyberg is really challenging work, challenging in a great way, really. Again, more really complex. Thought that was a terrific film, um, Swedish movie. And Nan Fu Wang's In the Same Breath is, is amazing. It's about her being, you know, in China, visiting her mother with her young daughter and seeing the pandemic being hushed up by the authorities and then eventually getting back to the US where she now lives and seeing the same thing that, you know, that the pandemic was kind of politicised and used as a weapon um, in the kind of war on communication and particularly, you know, the racism in the US, the kind of othering of it coming from China. She's such a talented filmmaker. Her voice is extraordinary. So I love that film too. On the same day that the eight doctors were punished, Liu visited four of the hospitals where the punished doctors had been working. He was turned away from all of them. Many of the doctors at these hospitals must have known this new virus was spreading between people, but they were afraid to say so for fear of punishment from the government. And Zola, I was really impressed with. I mean, it may be based on a tweet thread about a waitress and a sex worker, but I think actually, as well as being very funny, that one's really important in terms of representation. Would you agree? Yes, I think Janixa Bravo, who's actually going to be here in person. It's amazing. I mean, we really thought we would have no US filmmakers, but... Janixa's going to be here. I think she's extraordinary talent. I think the directing of that work is absolutely amazing. I mean, she, there is absolutely no way that that is not a kind of massive sort of rehearsal for a big like Marvel movie. I think that the craft that she displays in that film directorially is stunning. And it sounds like a kind of minor work that it's kind of inspired by a real life set of, of, of tweets, but it's not. Hey. Last month, I went dancing at this cute spot in Florida where my roommate's girl made like five Gs a night. Because of my we just met yesterday and you already trying to take whole trips together? Be ready by two. Hi, bitch! You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? It's again, it's interesting that there's so many of these films would have been finished during the pandemic. 
And I think that's really interesting in a way. I think, you know, what's happened to filmmakers and the challenges that it's created has probably made it really hard, but perhaps tested them creatively in ways that have really shown in the work in a really kind of powerful way, I think. And a final word about writing with fire, because we're going to be speaking to Rintu today. Oh, the women in that film. I mean, the filmmaking is, again, that because it's about women who are doing extraordinary work as female journalists in India, it challenging authorities, challenging the mafia, challenging the police. Therefore, they kind of embed themselves with those incredible female journalists. So you're really kind of right in the moment. So that the kind of feat of filmmaking, following that over several years, and also the danger that they must have been in because the women kind of put themselves in quite exposed positions. And so therefore, as filmmakers, you would be doing the same. And there's something very, very powerful about that story. I mean, I think that that is my favourite film. I don't like to lift up one movie, but in a way that I just found those women so unbelievably inspiring on so many levels. And they're really exciting filmmakers. Well, Mia, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. I hope lots of our listeners get a chance to join you at Sundance London. Thank you. And B, it's lovely to have you with us. I hear that you've written a poem about this year's Sundance London Film Festival. Tell us a little bit about it before we hear it. So I actually shared three poems at the Women's Breakfast, which was really lovely and amazing. Um, And I responded to Daughters of the Dust. And then I responded to a film called First Date looking at my own first date even though it isn't as a dramatic and as extraordinary as the film which everyone should see um it was real fun to go down memory lane and it kind of inspired the audience to do so as well and of course daughters of the dust is such a seminal piece of work by julie dash it was like really honoring to be able to respond to that and then the poem that i shared in response to sundance was from actually the last festival and is going to be painted on the wall in the gallery space this year so people can come and see the visual of it um, but it was just lovely to, to share it vocally this morning. B, tell me how do you feel about the films by women this year? I know you haven't had a chance to see all of them but clearly there's a wonderful selection. Are you excited? I'm really excited to see all of them so I'm in screenings later on today and I'm looking really forward to responding to some of them and, and seeing them on the big screen. It's great to be back in the cinema, it feels like a real coming home And to have so many films by women as well is just really heartwarming. Let's hear some poetry from B. Manzini. So, this one is called Sundancers. Glean the personal as political. Give voice to a street, a house, a room of unexplored emotion. Tenderly undress the unseen. It's a privilege to look directly at the sun, lights, camera, action, moments, hours, dance away. Spellbound as the grains in the sand glass rise. We time travel, feeling the world tilt on its axis. Films many forms can magic or alter a state of heart, a dive into the deep of space, sometimes earth, an electric dream. B, thank you. Um, B, do you come back on Girls on Film and join us another time, won't you? I would love to do that. Thank you, Anna, for having me. That was Mia Bays and B Manzini. 
Sundance London isn't just in the capital this year. Three films, Zola, The Nest and Writing with Fire, will screen at over 30 UK cinemas, ranging from Exeter to York and from Brighton to Liverpool. My next guest is the co-director of Writing with Fire, the must-see documentary about India's only all-female news network. She is Rintu Thomas. Rintu, welcome to Girls on Film. Hi, Anna. Very happy to be here. Well, congratulations on your success at Sundance with the amazing Writing with Fire. How does it feel to be part of Sundance London? It's like having a gift again a second time. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) And it's super (laughs) special because UK is a very important space for us. There's a very um, intuitive English-speaking audience that is interested in stories from South Asia. There's a very large South Asian population. So we were very, very excited that it's coming to uh, the UK through Sundance London. Well, it's an incredible story, which is both inspiring and very sad in places. Um, tell me the story behind the film. When did your journey making this start? It was a lot of serendipity. Um, it, the story just popped up uh, on our computer screens on a very random summer afternoon as a f- beautiful photo story of a woman carrying a newspaper in a very back and beyond part of Uttar Pradesh in India where I didn't even know that there were women reporters um, working out of that region because in that part of the country to be a journalist means you're a male uh, of a privileged caste and we followed it to understand the work of Khabar Leheria which is India's only newspaper run entirely by rural Dalit women and when we met them they were at a very interesting cusp of transitioning from 15 years of print to digital. So semi-literate rural women, most of whom had never touched a smartphone, were going to take this leap of faith to build a digital uh, news agency. And, And it was just... It felt like just the right moment to enter the story. It's so inspiring to see women working together to tell urgent, important news stories. When you were filming them, what did you feel that they, as women journalists, brought to the stories that they were covering? There's a lot of violence against women that um, exists in that region. And when it's Dalit women who have typically never had any agency now taking over social political spaces which are designed to keep them out there's something very dynamic happening there i thought the way they reported just cases of sexual violence rape mostly when we see uh, reports on rape it's it, it's as if it's an isolated issue and without a social context it feels like it's just one horrible crime that has happened the way the journalists at Khabarlehre report the story, they acknowledge the social, political, economic environment around which a crime like that took place, uh, which makes sure that it doesn't go unpunished. So in the film, we watch them follow relentlessly on cases which otherwise would never even get reported. And the editorial integrity with which they work, it's, it's hardcore, it's rigorous, and it's compassionate and independent and in a country that truly has a very cluttered media landscape this is a completely refreshing voice Quick <laughs> <laughs> 
We were in illegal mines, we were in police stations, um, in spaces where women usually are never even allowed to be and to be filming there. So there were many situations that got a bit risky. I think what gave us a lot of confidence was the chutzpah of these women themselves. Yes. <laughs> they were, so we decided if they walk into a police station, we walk right behind them. And that sort of spoke to us about their deep-rooted existence in the region. People respect them. And there is a sense of trust, a very tacit understanding of intuitive trust that people have in them. And I think that really helped us get close to our characters, shoot more intimately and borrow a little bit from their swag. I liked some scenes later when you speak to them individually about the plight, basically, of women in India. And there's a really striking scene where one of them says that, you know, she feels like when you're born a woman in India, it's like you're instantly being punished for being a woman. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how you tackled that issue in this documentary? I think when we talk about women being invisible in a culture, it's really we're referring to them having lack of agency lack of agency to express themselves, to dream, to take control over their lives. And from a very young age to a very old age, very slowly, uh, but systemically, these aspects of your lives are taken away from you. And that's not unique to India. I think that happens across the world. The, the, the nature and the structures of patriarchy are maybe different. They're definitely more intense here. I think for me as a woman and as a woman filmmaker, I found great inspiration in in being in the company of these women who are practically invisible to their society. In their homes, in workspaces, you don't have a, a, a newsroom that has Dalit women. The editor of Khabar Lahiriya is the only Dalit individual in the Editors Guild of India. So it's a space that they have reclaimed for themselves. And Dalit women have always been presented in a certain kind of narrative. And here were women who have already ejected themselves out of the slavery of that narrative. So I think in being in their presence and following them through the lens of a camera, I found many ways of like unlearning my own understanding of what courage and inspiration and hope really is. I was going to ask you what you learned from them. Did it alter your opinions about any particular issues? I think, you know, the way we define ourselves many ways as women is largely guided by how others look at us. And that's how we're brought up, unsure, underconfident, not really believing in ourselves that we could make a change. And by being around Sunita Shamkali and Neera, I really saw them just take that cloak off, of, of underconfidence. It, it doesn't exist. They've stepped into a space that they've created for themselves. They didn't have the confidence of anyone. Everyone believed that they're going to fail. And yet they stood in their own part and said, we're going to make a change. Our lives matter. And that is a huge takeaway for me when we're making documentaries, but we're mostly pretty much on our own. Uh, there's never really a very clear light at the end of the tunnel. And there's so many moments of self-doubt. Is this story ever going to be finished? What is my vision? You know, those kind of things as a professional. 
and i think that i i just like completely love that that self confidence when no one else is believing in you and i think i really hope when people watch the film that's what they come out of it with definitely it's infectious and <laughs> as you say on the positive side these women are really succeeding they're making changes as that we see in the film and it's intriguing to see how much power they are able to get through social media mm. very slowly what what we noticed is the change in the amount of self perception because till then they were print journalists people didn't really know them you were taking down notes and printing and distributing your newspapers but now people were watching you on their smartphones so the way they presented themselves the level of confidence was completely different and amazing to watch uh, they're now more recognized in the region with their first names is a lot more um, engagement with audiences and therefore there's a lot more impact of their work one of the most amazing things was because literacy is low amongst women in that region uh, their newspaper wasn't really reaching a lot of women but with the advent of smartphones that has changed they have a lot more women watching their content and engaging with their content and what social media also does is it also has very dark undercurrents so when they were reporting on stories that were not necessarily uh, that had people disagreeing with them you saw relentless merciless trolling and you know the difference here is that if you're a journalist from a city posting something on your timeline you'd be trolled by someone you don't know you're away from your troll but here it's different your troll knows where you live you're going to the very villages where your trolls uh, you know hang around they know your name they know what color sari you're wearing and which bus you're in and to navigate that on an everyday basis is real skill so we saw both aspects of their interaction with social media and the the new world that sort of like opened up and with what clever strategy and grace they they continue to navigate it i think your film gets a really impressive balance between the negative and the positive and leaves you with a lot of hope for the future was that something you felt very strongly about Oh yes, right from the beginning. The very first scene that we uh, shot is the scene where Mira the chief reporter is telling the rest of the team that we need to move to digital and there's a lot of nervous excitement in the room. Uh and a lot of people are like, you know, we've never touched a smartphone. How do you expect us to succeed in this? And just reading that room that one day, we instantly intuitively knew that this is a story we want to tell because there was so much hope in this. just the fact that dalit women are stepping out of their homes and rewriting their own stories uh is phenomenal whether or not the news agency succeeded after 5 years was not really our focus our focus was to capture the spirit of these women which is beyond success they've really uh, transformed something and continue to do so in both their personal and professional lives fantastic what else are you working on now Ah, <laughs> with we've been toying around the idea of a fiction piece for a long while. So using this time to develop that, and also just dipping our feet into the pre-production development phase of a limited uh, unscripted series. So it's in the line of the work that we've been doing for the past ten years. So very excited about that. Wow. Okay. Well, will you come back on Girls on Film and tell us all about it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Anything else to leave the listeners with, especially those who are planning to go to? 
Sundance London. I think you'll be meeting a very different um, set of women. They're so extraordinary in being ordinary women and you will you will not forget them for a very very long time when you meet them so please please do go and watch writing with fire wonderful rinchy thank you so much for joining girls on film thank you anna my final guest is the director of the iron lady mama mia and the upcoming film herself about a domestic abuse survivor Here's Philida Lloyd. Well, Philida, welcome back to Girls on Film. Thank you so much. Really great to be back. Well, we love having you on the show. And I'm so pleased to hear that you're doing a masterclass at Sundance London. Tell me what people can expect from that. Um, Gosh, well, I'm not really sure. I feel like, oh God, since I last spoke to you, so much has happened to all of us, both kind of physically, practically, and I, I guess inside us. So I think there's going to be quite a lot to share I mean, and find out from, you know, listeners, viewers as well about what that experience has done to people's thinking and um, and work as well. So I think that that will be a big focus of it. Well, when we last spoke, as you say, it was um, for herself and that was due to come out. And of course, that's been delayed and is coming out September this year. How's that journey, the continuing journey of that incredible film going? It's been very... Um, Odd, because we made the film quite quickly and suddenly found ourselves at Sundance with a big live audience and we're expecting that we would be in movie theatres quite soon after that. So for it to almost go under the ice, as it were, has been interesting and, and it's sort of, in some ways, I think it's really changed the meaning of the film or the film feels very different now to, to then. Um, and I think the other aspect of it that's been interesting for me is Obviously, as a filmmaker, you're very um, preoccupied by the how it's being shared. And of course, you want your film to be on a screen watched in a communal setting. And I guess... um, you know, a big full house at Sundance crammed in the biggest movie theatre was sort of the ultimate of that in terms of hearing communal audience reaction and everything. So the idea that it would, um, as it has done in America, be shared digitally um, through Amazon Prime, you know, if you'd asked us in advance that it was going there straight away in the States, we'd have been, oh, ouch, you know, that's, that's a real shame. But as it's happened, I think that Claire Dunn and I both feel that with the escalation of domestic violence through the pandemic, um, somehow getting this little message into people's homes, onto people's laptops, a message saying, look, you know, you may be trapped somewhere in a desperate situation, but maybe there is light beyond where you are. And that's what the film is meant to be doing, to sort of um, putting an idea out there. And so the idea that it was going into people's homes in the States and people were responding and saying, my God, this is my experience. This is the experience of my neighbour has actually completely changed my attitude to, you know, it has to be on the big screen. That said... Obviously, I'm ecstatic that it's going to be in Picture House very soon. Because it is a film about community, isn't it? So I think it will be lovely, as you say, to watch it with a big audience and to laugh together and cry together. It's a really powerful story. We can't go on like this. Just keep telling yourself, it's temporary. Sorry, guys. (sighs) Late three times and you've got your kids here. John, please. I need this job. 
What are we doing, Sandra? Do you think this is good for the girls? I've seen it, Counselor. We could try and make it work. I want to fix him, you know? I know. But there are some people you just can't. Um, you mentioned that a lot of women have responded to it um, who've watched it. Can you tell me a little bit more about the women that inspired it that your, your star and writer Claire spoke to? It was initially inspired by a friend of Claire's who um, had become homeless in Dublin. She'd had her landlord was selling the property. She'd had to suddenly move out with two. She's a single mum with two kids. And there was literally nowhere to live in Dublin. She couldn't get social housing. There was nowhere to rent. And she had to declare herself homeless. And Claire was just so shocked that a friend could be in this situation that she sat down and started to write the film and then began to really look deeply into the question of not just homelessness, but um, domestic violence in this context. And she and I were working on a theatre project, uh, a series of Shakespeare plays all set in a women's prison. And we were very preoccupied by the number of women we met whose childhoods had begun in a, an atmosphere of domestic violence or they had struck out against an abusive partner and ended up in prison. So we were determined to get these stories heard and give more air to them. And the combination of her story from home, what we were working on led to the collaboration between us. And she did a lot of research in Ireland and Women's Aid were very helpful. And one of the things they said, which became a kind of defining feature of how the central character was created, they said to us, don't make this central character a victim um, because women in this situation are not, they're, they're, they're kind of heroes, um, that they have huge courage, the courage, first of all, to stay in a situation like this and then to leave. Um, so that was how we came to work on the film together. That's so important to the film and I love that positivity and strength that you see in that character. It's incredibly inspiring. What can I do for you? I want to build a house. Um, these are some of the vacant sites that you have gone spare. And the addresses are on the back. And this is how much it would cost me for the materials. And a plumber and an electrician is €35,000. You see, I figured out that I cost you 33000 in rent and welfare in one year alone. Um, and at number 653 on the housing list, sure, that's three or four years keeping us in hotels, which would cost you... 120,000, maybe even more. But if you lend me the money and let me use a site, then I could have that built by Christmas and be paying you rent for the house. Do you see what I mean? You'd even be making a profit. I'm really sorry. I can't help you with this. Now, of course, you mentioned a, you know, a central female character, which is a theme in a lot of your work, both on stage and in film with the Iron Lady and Mamma Mia. Tell me why that is important to you, to work with women and to centre around women. Yes, you know, I look back on 
you know, several decades of working, first of all, really in fringe theatre. Um, had my very first job, I was a runner and we used to get laid off between films and I would go and, you know, get together some money and with friends and pubs and do fringe theatre. Right from the beginning, it just felt the natural thing to look for stories that featured women just because there just weren't as many of them as there were about men. There were huge opportunities and so many unheard voices and unexplored approaches to a woman's life. And I feel, you know, on some level, we're only just getting going. You know, we're still, we're all living in a patriarchal society and we're still, it's, it's in its infancy. So there's so much, you know, that, that we, we aren't there yet at all. And so... It just felt just as natural as breathing to be looking for those those stories. With Mamma Mia, obviously huge mainstream successful film, but of course centering around women and with I think a lot of themes that you could call feminist. Yeah, I mean I, I think it was entirely, from my point of view, a feminist mission. There were three women of a certain age we met when we were forty. Judy Kramer, the producer, Catherine Johnson, myself. And really, this was a lot about our lives. And it was kind of our lives, warts and all. We were very conscious in the theatre that musicals were all nostalgic, um, romantic heroines. There was nothing really going on where the audience saw themselves on stage, warts and all, where it didn't matter, you didn't have to be, you know, tall, leggy, slim, you didn't have to be a kind of TikTok babe to to get into our show. And at first that was really hard, especially when we went to America. We were saying, no, we really do want to see real people like us in the audition. And we kept seeing these incredible Broadway, amazing dancers and, and uh, who were very much a kind of an archetype. Um, so we battled to just go, you know, this person might not conform entirely to your idea of a musical theatre star, but as far as we're concerned, she is. Um, And when we realised the response of the audience seeing themselves on stage was so intense, especially from women, we realised people were, were craving it. And of course, that was, you know, we wanted to keep that vibe, I guess, when we made the movie. And Meryl, Julie Walters and Christine Baranski all felt the same, you know, that somehow women of a certain age, I think they were even 60 by the time they made that film. And to have sort of those people, well, Meryl as the kind of love interest and to have so many women in the foreground was definitely unusual. But it just it just felt like that's what the audience. Yeah, they they just couldn't get enough of it. Well, just talking about that now, I want to watch it again. It feels like the perfect film for the mood at the moment. (laughs) I think we're going to play a little trailer for the listeners to remind them of the joy of Mamma Mia. Every girl has a dream. I want the perfect wedding and I want my father to give me away. Look at my baby, your whole life ahead of it. Every family. I read mom's diary. Has a secret. And I have three possible fathers. Oh my. God. It's typical. You wait 20 years for a dad and then three come along at once. Mamma mia, here I go again. Mama, how can I resist? There were three 
guys around the same time. <laughs> you shady lady. The last time I saw your mother, she said she never wanted to see me again. Before I let you go, tell me what else you are working on that we should know about. Well, I'm, oh gosh, I'm going back to the theatre first on a big, I can't actually explain what it is, but it's a big sort of social mission project. Um, and I'm, yeah, reading a lot of scripts, looking at a lot of stories, trying to find the next film, which is hard to go, it's hard to go from one to the other. I just have to somehow go back to the theatre and, um, I wouldn't say it's where recharging my batteries, but it certainly has really helped to be able to go between those two worlds. So, yeah, I've got a lot of things on the stove, as it were, just simmering, but I'm not actually sure what I'm going to be behind the camera with next. Well, you can bet that we're going to ask you to come back on Girls on Film and talk about it when it emerges. And meantime, we're really looking forward to seeing you at Sundance London. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. Phila Deloitte's Masterclass will be on Friday the 30th of July. That's it for today's Girls on Film. Thanks for joining me, Anna Smith, along with Mia Bays, B Manzini, Rintu Thomas and Phila Lloyd. To find out more about Sundance London, go to picturehouses.com forward slash Sundance. Girls on Film is an HLA production, brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Benjamin Cook, Assistant producers Heather Dempsey and Eliana J, and our partners for this episode, Sundance London. We'll be back soon. Meantime, we post every day on social media, so do find us there for more female-focused film chat. Why you on my Twitter? Why you on my Facebook? Why you on my Tumblr? Why are you DMing me? Sis, why are you tagging me sis. in photos? You don't even fuck with me. Sis. Let me know. Sis. Let me know. Yes, me know. Stay safe. if you slept with hundreds of men. Watch that scene. And I haven't slept with hundreds of men. You sound like you're having fun already. Oh, we are. I used to have fun. Oh, we know. <laughs> <laughs>